Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 40 to the choir master, Psalm of David. Please rise for the reading. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who, sne- who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. Lord, we're so thankful for that. It's an invitation to us to call out to you in our time of need. Lord, we call out to you now in this time of need. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to be revived by you. We need, Lord, fresh eyes, a fresh mind, a fresh heart for you and for the things you've called us to do. Lord, you say that your commandments are not burdensome, and yet often we find them so. But Lord, what we need is a changed heart. We need a heart that, like this psalm says, delights in your law, delights in your commandments that wants nothing more than to do as you have said. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do that miracle, that you do that thing for us today, for your people, for your children who have gathered here to hear from your word. And we pray that for anyone who's here who doesn't yet know you, that you would also do that for them, that you would give life according to your word, we pray. We ask this for the glory of Jesus. We ask it your glory would not be shared with any other, but would be richly poured upon your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series on the Psalms, and uh, we looked at a Psalm of Repentance. That was Psalm 32. 
And we looked at a psalm of fear, that was Psalm 55. And we looked at a psalm of praise last week, Gabe opened up Psalm 33. This morning, as uh, David read here, we're in Psalm 40, and it's a psalm of deliverance. And, and David, King David, opens up this psalm with a, a testimony of how God delivered him. And there's not enough detail to know like which episode this was in David's life. God delivered David from lots of different troubles, and so we don't know which one this is, just as God has delivered us from all kinds of troubles. And I think that might be a good place to run through a few things that God might have done in your life. Has the Lord ever allowed you to conceive in spite of infertility? Has he delivered you from some mortal danger? Some of you guys are in extremely dangerous jobs. Has God ever delivered you from mortal danger? Has God ever vindicated you from some injustice? Or has God ever delivered you from something you did deserve from the justice system, and he delivered you from that? Has God ever delivered you by lifting you out of crippling anxiety or depression? Has God ever delivered you by restoring some deeply broken relationship you have? Has God ever delivered you by unburdening you from crushing guilt? Any of those? Anybody qualify for any of those? Anybody qualify for more than one? Anybody qualify for more than three? Anybody qualify for a half dozen of them? <laughs> Guys, the Lord has delivered you from trouble. And so this is your psalm. This is your psalm of deliverance too. In David's case, deliverance didn't come instantly. Look at verse 1. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. The Hebrew has a sense there of, I waited and waited patiently for the Lord. It didn't come right away. And I know some of you are in that place right now. You're in a place of waiting for the Lord. You're, you're praying, you're calling upon him to deliver you from some pit you're in, and it's just going on and on. I know that many of you are staying faithful to the Lord. Not perfectly, because as we kind of deal with those things, we don't do it perfectly, but you're faithfully waiting for the Lord. You're, you're faithfully waiting for him to deliver you, not trying to find some sinful way out of it, right? But to wait for him to deliver you. Some of you guys are right now in the furnace of affliction. And for those of you guys who aren't, there are a lot of people who are here. And one of the things we need to remember as we come from the car into this area is you have no idea probably the amount of difficulty some of these people have gone through just to sit in that chair near you. Like this was all they had to be here. They gave it all to be here. And so when we're here, we need to just be on the lookout for that. Amen? Most of us have been in that state, right? Where we're like, I don't think I can do this, but you did it. And then somebody in the body blessed you. And so be on the lookout for that. But some of you are in that furnace of affliction and you're asking like, should I just keep praying and waiting? This doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. To which I would answer, what's our other option? Right? But to wait. And that's what David did. He prayed and he waited. And then he says what the Lord did in response. Look at verse one again. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He heard me. Guys, we have no right to that, that God would hear us right? God is God. He's not the cosmic complaint department, right? He's not obligated to hear our cries, and yet God is so gracious that he does, amen? And we see that in this passage. He's, he's so gracious to hear. The Hebrew there says that he bent down, turned, and listened. The Lord listens to us when we pray, not like we listen to each other. When we're looking at our phones, we're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. My daughter knows when there's a certain cadence of mm, 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 that I'm not listening. And then she does it back to me. She's like, mm, 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 mm. And I'm like, I'm busted. Which is a lot nicer than what she used to do. She used to say, like, tell me what I just said. Which is deadly. Like, stuff about your life. 
Was it school? Maybe? No? So he doesn't listen to us like that. This, the Hebrew here is that he, he bent down, he turned, and he listened. When you pray to the Lord, you have his full attention. He's riveted. His attention is arrested. He's looking right at you when you pray. The Lord inclined to David and heard his cry. And then verse 2 says, He drew me up from the pit out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock and made my steps secure. I have a little problem when I'm reading this. I hear this as uh, the U2 song 40 every time. So it's like the new Bono translation. And so I keep hearing it that way. So if I stumble, that's what's going on. There's, it's a popular band. They've been around for like 40 years. Anyway, I'll explain later. Okay. But he, he heard David. He drew him up out of the pit, out of the miry bog. He set his feet upon a rock and made his steps secure. David's distress here, it says it was like a pit. And you know, guys, our people have a tendency to end up in pits, don't they? We think about like Joseph ended up in a pit. Jeremiah ended up in a pit. Daniel ended up in a pit with lions. Our people end up in pits. And so if you're in a pit this morning, don't assume that you're doing this wrong. I think some Christians feel that way. If things aren't going well and stuff, I must not be doing it right. You could be doing it totally right and end up in a pit. That's what the word, you know, instructs us in. The Lord often forms his saints in pits. David described his troubles as a pit of destruction and miry bog. This image of miry bog has a sense of like a slimy kind of sticky mud. So it's a pit of destruction he's in, and it's also filled with slimy mud. You're not getting out of a pit of destruction if it's filled with slimy mud and kind of lined with slimy mud. And so he's in a very dark place when the Lord rescued him. Growing up, we would go to the river many times a year, and uh, we'd boat up the river, and we'd go looking for a sandbar. And sometimes it was so packed with boats that, like, you couldn't get a good spot on a sandbar. There's this whole thing about how close you can be. It's an untold rule, but you don't want to, like, run right up to somebody. And so you might end up in this, like, place in the Thule's, and instead of nice sand, it was like this kind of sticky, gooey mud. It was not desirable. And uh, I remember as a kid, I remember jumping off the boat. I'm all excited. I jump off the boat in the shallows, and I'm like, wee And then I go, dope. And I was stuck up to my knees in, the, in this slimy mud. This happened multiple times. And, um, and the more I moved, the more I got stuck. And I'll tell you guys, I would be there to this day if my dad had not pulled me out of that mud and put me on the solid ground. And, and one, one of the times it happened, actually, my sandals stayed in there. And they're gone. I mean, they were like four feet under this, this slimy mud. Some you know, paleontologists will find it someday. But uh, it was an amazing feeling to be up on like a, a solid surface after you had spent so much time being stuck. And that's the sense here. We were stuck in a pit in slimy mud. And maybe that was sickness or debt or fear or addiction or despair or some sort of unending conflict with somebody or guilt. And the more that you tried to like release yourself from the mud, the more trapped you got, right? Amen? You've been in that situation where you're like, oh, I got this. And you don't got this. Okay? It just gets worse. But then the Lord drew you up out of the pit, and he set your feet on a rock, and he made your steps secure. And I want to ask you guys that have experienced that kind of deliverance, how did that feel? How did you feel after that? It was an amazing feeling, right? Probably like verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go after a lie. 
You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. You probably felt like that, right? You felt elated. You're rescued from the pit. You were relieved. You were full of praise to God. This morning, what we're going to look at is how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the Lord pulling us out of a pit, saving us, delivering us in all the different ways that he does? How do we respond? I see three ways in here. The first way we respond to God pulling us out of a pit is by having a heart that wants to obey him. Look at verse 6. In sacrifices and offerings you've not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. There's a common theme here. It's a common theme in the Old Testament. That God desires obedience, not sacrifice. That the, that the sacrificial system was no substitute for obedience. They were a way to deal with sin when you disobeyed him, but they were not meant to be like a, an alternative to obedience, right? Uh, the most famous example of this is in uh, David's, the life of David's predecessor, Saul. God had commanded King Saul to wipe out all of the Amalekites and to wipe out all of their livestock. But King Saul didn't, right? He keeps uh, King Agag alive, kind of as a trophy, kind of lead him around. You know, show he had dominion over this other king. And he keeps all the livestock. I mean, why not? Why waste good livestock? And uh, when Samuel, the prophet Samuel, comes to him to confront him about it, Saul says, oh yeah, no, no, it doesn't look like what it is. Um, I was going to sacrifice these animals to the Lord your God. I was going to use these as a sacrifice. And uh, to which Samuel did not say, oh, well, that changes everything. Why didn't you just say so? So you decided you wouldn't obey God and you'd do some nice religious deed for him instead, right? It's not what Samuel says. Samuel says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. God wants our obedience, not just our sacrifices. You know, we can't ignore the commands of God and then come out, somehow smooth it over with religious deeds. We're very prone to do that. We don't have a sacrificial system, but we'll do it in other ways. Do certain things that are kind of religious deeds that are maybe easier for us to do. It's like easier for us to give, or it's easier for us to be real faithful in serving in some way. When really we need to obey God and the thing he's really shown us, we need to obey him in. And if you're thinking right now, this moment, of what that might be, and you thought of something, that is the thing. You might have gone like, oh, maybe the Lord's telling me this. Oh, no, 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 not that. No, that was it. Okay, so write that down. The first thought you had was the thing that the Lord's calling you to obey. And it's because the Lord doesn't just, he doesn't want our stuff. He wants us. He wants our hearts. And our obedience to him shows that he has our heart. There's a beautiful image here of that kind of heart in verse 6. Take a look at it. He says to the Lord, David says, you have given me an open ear. It's a really weird expression. The Hebrew, it's like, you have dug ear holes for me. Okay? It's like if you were making a little clay person and then you took a little sharp thing and kind of popped little ear holes in your little clay person. Like God gave him holes open for his ears. He opened his ears to listen and follow God's word. It's the same thing when Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. It's the same idea. Is that the Lord gave him ears that were suddenly open to hear God's word and obey him. Guys, when the Lord pulls you out of a pit, he opens your ears to obey his word. And that makes sense, even on a like regular personality or, or regular relationship level. I mean, if somebody, 
let's say someone literally saved your life, and I mean literally, like the old kind of literal, like literally. <laughs> Assume somebody, somebody just literally saved your life, okay? If they call you and ask you for something, you don't ignore them, right? You don't ghost them. You take their call, and you do what they ask because they saved your life. It's the same thing here that when he delivers us from a pit, we want to follow him. You know, so often, you know, those of you who have been in church a long time, there are people who will come to church for a little bit because they're desperate. they got some life situation that they're really desperate about and they really want God to help them out. And then they get that thing and then they're gone, right? That's not what happened with David here is that the Lord gave him an open ear to follow him. And you can hear his total willingness in verse 7. Take a look at it. David says this, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. The scroll he's talking about is probably Deuteronomy 17. In Deuteronomy 17, it said what kings like David were supposed to do and how they were supposed to rule. And one of the things it said, it's really interesting, it says that the king was, when he first started to reign, he was supposed to handwrite his own copy of God's law. Okay? He was supposed to handwrite it. You guys know how that is. Like, you learn something by handwriting it out. He was supposed to a copy of God's law, and then he was supposed to meditate on it until he had learned to love God's law. Isn't that amazing? Such a great thing to do. And that's the kind of king David is saying he wants to be now. He goes, I want to be the kind of king that was written about in the scroll of the law. I want to be the kind of king who meditates on your word and is excited to do the things that you've commanded. That's the kind of king he wants to be. Look at verse 8. He says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. This word delight here in verse 8 echoes the one in verse 6. God delights not in sacrifices but obedience. And then David and we delight in giving it to him. Right? We delight in giving it to him. It's like in the best of relationships where you find your joy in the joy of the one you love. And so David's going to find his joy in giving God joy in his obedience. It makes sense, guys, that, that obedience would be a response to deliverance, doesn't it? Makes total sense. Somebody does that for you. It also makes sense because obedience, guys, is about trust, right? We obey God only as much as we trust him and only as much as we see that he's good and that he loves us. And one of the ways we discover that God is good and he loves us is by calling upon him and then him delivering us. And every time we call upon him, he delivers us. We see more of what he's like and how good he is and how much he loves us. Um, David called upon the Lord in his distress and he found that God was, in verse 10, faithful he saw his faithfulness. You can see in verse 11, he saw his mercy. You can see in verse 11 also, he found God's steadfast love. There's a beautiful word that translates. It's the Hebrew word hased. Hased is God's constant love for you, this ongoing love for you that no matter what, like the song we were singing actually, that no matter what, God continues to pursue us. He continues to love us. He continues to come after us. His hased is his unfailing love. And so that's a great reason for you to call upon the Lord. Some people are like, I'm not really good at prayer. That's what this is talking about, though. This is talking about calling upon the Lord, one particular type of prayer, where we have needs and we ask him. And one of the good reasons to do that is the more you call upon him and the more you see him answer, the more you're going to see what he's like, the more you're going to trust him, the more you're going to obey him. So we call upon him, he answers, we learn to trust him, then we obey him. So how do we respond when the Lord delivers us from our trouble? We respond with open ears wanting to obey his word. Secondly, we respond to being delivered from the pit by telling others. Look at verse 9. 
I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. So when God pulls us out of the pit, we glorify God by telling others. And he says it in a bunch of ways. He goes, Lord, I told about your deliverance. I didn't restrain my lips. I didn't hide it. I spoke it. I didn't conceal it. He's saying a bunch of different ways. He told people. You know, he prays. He calls upon the Lord. The Lord answers, delivers him, and he tells people. It's a very natural thing to do. When God delivers us from the pit, he opens our ears for obedience, and then he opens our mouths for testimony. That's what this passage says. And your testimony, guys, of deliverance is a powerful tool to glorify God. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it. Speak it often. Look at verse 3. And if you guys haven't, don't have a Bible open, you're not looking at Psalm 40, this is like not the way to experience this. Like, look at it, because it's no fun if you're just watching me, because it's a thing to be seen. So anyway, go there. So Psalm 40, verse 3, in the second half, it says this. This this just shows how powerful your testimony of deliverance is. He says in verse 3, Many will see his deliverance and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Isn't that cool? The Lord delivers you so that you can tell that testimony so that others will, it says, see and fear and trust the Lord. Your testimony of deliverance is meant to lead others to trust the Lord. And that might be evangelistically, that you share your testimony with people that don't know the Lord. That's a very low-risk way to begin to share your faith. If you're not used to sharing your faith, if you're scared to share your faith, share your personal testimony. It's a great place to start. We live in this kind of postmodern world where if you tell your testimony, they'll go, oh, that's really nice for you. Well, that'll be frustrating, okay? But they won't attack you. You'll start there. You say, this is how the Lord's living me. Oh, that's nice for you. Well, actually, it's nice for everybody if they would come to him. You know, he's the God of all. And you can build off of that. But start with sharing your testimony. Or you can use it to encourage other believers. I mean, how often do we all need to hear your testimony of deliverance? We're all struggling with doubts and discouragements and and wondering if our prayers are ever going to do anything. It's so helpful to know that the Lord has answered you and delivered you. When we give a testimony, what we're really doing, guys, is we're we're commending God to other people. When you tell what he did, you're, you're commending him to other people. It's like, do any of you guys rave about the person who, you know, does your hair or fixes your car or coaches your kid? And you say things like, oh, she's a lifesaver. Or you say things like, oh, I don't know what I'd do without him. Right? You say that about people that have done services for you, right? It's time for us to do that and commend God to others. Amen? Okay. It's time for us to do that and commend God to others. And it's simple. It's as simple as telling the ways he's rescued you. It might be your testimony of salvation, how he's pulled you out of the pit of hell by Jesus, right? Or it might be some lesser pit, you know, has the Lord healed you and pulled you out of a pit of sickness? Tell people about that. You know, we often will pray for healing. If you need prayer for healing, Josh and I will be right down here to do it after service. We'll anoint you with oil. Don't worry, it's just a drop. And we'll pray for you. And one of the things I just challenge you guys, when you actually pray for healing and God heals you, please don't explain it away. Right? You know how we do that? We're super desperate. We go, Lord, please heal. And then he heals and he goes, well, you know, maybe it was a misdiagnosis. Or, ah, maybe it was going to happen anyway. Or, man, that doctor was amazing. Remember back, you were so desperate because you didn't actually think any of those things were true. And then when he heals, 
we should tell. Give God the glory for what he's done. He's healed you. You should actually tell people. Don't explain it away. I shared with you guys the story at the baptism. I shared with you the story of how God healed uh, baby Emery. Amazing story of healing. We have tons of stories of healing like that. Has the Lord pulled you out of a pit of addiction, right? Don't be tight-lipped about that. You got to speak about that. You got to declare that this was the Lord who delivered you. Or has he pulled you out of some financial pit and blessed your work? Don't hide it, you know? It was really cool. There was two men in our congregation this week that called me or texted me telling me that God had greatly improved their work situation. You know, these are guys that, you know, they want to provide for their family and really struggling to do it, and God has greatly improved their work situation. So cool. We should, we should speak of that. Um, has the Lord pulled you out of a pit of fear or despair? You know, depression, anxiety, just a place where you were. The pit of despair was not like some physical thing out there. The pit was in you. <laughs> you became the pit. And the Lord pulled you out of that. Testify about that. Don't conceal that. That was the Lord. A woman in our church texted me yesterday just telling me how the Lord has greatly lifted her depression. That's a miracle, right? That is amazing. It was the Lord's work. How do you respond when, when God pulls you out of a pit? First, you obey him. Second, you tell others about him. And then third, you call upon him again. You know, it's wild in this uh, psalm that David's already in trouble again in verse 11. So the beginning is a testimony of God, how God delivered him. And it's really great. It's like, God delivered me. I answer. He's a little testimony. He's like, and he did this, and it's amazing, and I want to follow him and tell people and all that. And then verse 11, he's in trouble again, okay? Hey, look at verse 11. He's like, again? In the middle of the psalm? Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy for me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. So he's asking him again. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So David's back in trouble again. <laughs> this is something Jesus told us would happen, right? He said, in this life, you will have what? Tribulations. In this life, you will have tribulations. You're going to have more opportunities to call upon the Lord because you're going to have more trouble, you know? You're going to have more trouble. That's, that's what the Christian life is like. And the way we honor God for his past deliverance is by calling upon him when we're in trouble again. Because he's proven himself faithful, we call upon him again. And there's some indication here, guys, in this second trouble, the one at the end, that it's self-inflicted. Okay? The first one, there was no evidence of that. It seemed like innocent sufferer, problems coming upon him. The second one seems like, no, that was him. Take a look at verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. And then he says, my iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails. There's no hint that David's trouble in the beginning of the psalm was due to his sin, but this one seems to be. And I don't know if you guys are like this, but I think we tend to hesitate to call upon the Lord in times of trouble when we caused it. 
when it's our own sin. You feel that way? You're like, okay, this one was me, <laughs> clearly. This is my sin coming back to haunt me. You know, I'm not an innocent sufferer. I need to just bear it and not bother God with it. Guys, that would be a great mistake. That'd be a great mistake. And we see here in Psalm 40 that God wants to deliver us from self-inflicted trouble as well. Right? He wants to help us from self-inflicted trouble as well. I mean, guys, isn't, isn't that really what the gospel is about? That the Lord delivers us from self-inflicted trouble? Right? That the trouble that you're in with him is self-inflicted. It's because of your own sin. That, you know, if you're not a believer yet, it's the reason why you're in the pit of destruction. You're going to experience that pit of destruction. Why? Because of your own sin. But guys, the good news, and the good news in this passage and all throughout Scripture, is if you cry out to the Lord for rescue, He will deliver you from the pit of destruction. He will deliver you from the judgment that's coming for your own sin. He will rescue you through the one that this psalm points to. And I know it's not going to surprise you guys at all when I say that Psalm 40 is about... Psalm 40 is really about Jesus. Okay, yeah, exactly right. You're like, okay, I've heard this before. So where do I get that idea? I can prove this. Where is Psalm 40 quoted in the the New Testament? Anyone? Hebrews, which chapter? Who's got a chapter for me? What is it? Anyone? It's chapter 10. Turn to chapter 10. It's really important for you to see this. I think this could potentially melt your face off. So go to Hebrews 10, and I want to just show you how the writer of Hebrews uses Psalm 40 and shows that it points to Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 10.4 says this. He's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, and he talks about the need for Christ, and he notices, he thinks about Psalm 40, and he's like, oh yeah, that Psalm totally points to Jesus, and then he brings it in. Watch this. So Hebrews 10.4, he says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. He's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system. And then listen to this. Listen to how he intros Psalm 40. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you not desired, but a body you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's saying verses 7 and 8 in Psalm 40 are about Christ, but about Christ in a really cool way. He's saying that these are the words, Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, are the words that God the Son said to God the Father as he was entering into the world. Okay? Look at it again in in verse 5. He says, consequently, when Christ, what? Came into the world, he said. Okay, so verses 7 and 8 in Psalm 40 are Jesus' incarnation song. Isn't that amazing? This is something he said as he was entering the world to become a man. So imagine that Christ, the Son of God, is at the ledge of heaven. Okay, this is the earth down here. He's at the ledge of heaven, and he's, he's just about to come down, become a man, and do all the things that we see in the Gospels. But before he does, he says these words to his father. So here he's on the ledge, and he turns to his father, and he says this, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written to me in the scroll of the book. And then he jumps. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this amazing? I mean, we, we have the words he said before the Gospels as he's coming into the world. It's incredible. Jesus came to do what no sacrifice and no person could ever do, which is to give God perfect, 
happy, heartfelt obedience. When you look at Jesus' life and you're like, whoa, that's a life, it is. Because it's perfect, happy, heartfelt obedience to God's word. Isn't that incredible? And you look at it and you're like, man, I wish I had a life like that, right? It's so attractive. The Son took on a body, God the Son took on a body, to be both our obedience and our sacrifice. That's what Hebrews is talking about. He became our obedience in the sense that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, right? Jesus lived the life we should have lived. The Father gave the Son a real human body so he could live a real human life. So that he could be, as theologians talk about, he could be our righteousness through his active obedience. So the theologians break it down to like active obedience, that's Christ's whole life, which is credited to you. And his passive obedience, which is his death on the cross, which covers all your sin. So the gospel is offering you two things, right? It's offering you forgiveness and righteousness. So he came to be our obedience. Our, he was our obedience. He's our righteousness. And he came to be our sacrifice. So Jesus lived the life we should have lived. And Jesus died the death we should have died. His blood covers all of our sin. I think this is super important. And this is one of those things like union with Christ that when I say it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure most people aren't hearing it. And I almost want to go down the aisle and shake each one of you and say, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Because if, just write these words down. If you, this is all a blur, just write down active obedience and go look that up at home and passive obedience and imputed righteousness. Write those things down and look them up because if you don't get it right now, you must get it because this is what lights the fuse. I mean, this is the thing. Okay, so I'm going to say it without shaking you. There's too many of you. Shake your neighbor, okay? So did you hear that? Okay, I'm going to say it. The gospel isn't just about Christ's sacrifice for our sin, to wipe away our sin. Almost every one of you knows about that. But it's also his obedient life that's credited to us for our righteousness. In that second part, his obedience is credited to us. So it's not just like his blood wipes away our sin, but it's not just like we have a blank slate. We actually have on top of the blank slate, Christ's righteousness, right? And what this does, if you get it, if you receive it inside, is it kills your obsession with trying to earn God's approval. Because a lot of people that believe in Jesus' death to wipe away their sin are like, okay, good, now I'm going to build something. Now I'm going to earn his approval. You know, I got aware of his disapproval, but now with my own works, I'm going to get his approval. Guys, that earning was done already a really long time ago. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, you're not going to add to it. Okay? The, the God's not going to go like, Wow, Jesus' righteousness credited you. I was impressed. But then, your quiet time yesterday? Wow. Icing on the cake. No. We never add to, to Jesus' righteousness. We obey him out of love for him and out of gratitude and all these things. But we're not earning approval with God. It's already been done a really long time ago. Guys, the gospel isn't just about your sin removed. It's about his whole righteous life given to you. Go back to Psalm 40 and look at verse 7. He says, Behold, I have come to do your will. This is actually the high point of Psalm 40. Behold, I have come to do your will. This is the high point, right? And that high point of Psalm 40 points directly to Jesus. Right? That's Jesus saying that. Behold, I have come to do your will. And um, guys, your obedience this week to the Lord may have been iffy. May have been super iffy. It may have been not even up to that par of iffy. But guys, Jesus' obedience in your place is still totally epic. Nothing has been affected in God's approval of you. 
So it's like this. So Christ is, just imagine in Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8, it's Christ, he's standing at the ledge of heaven, right? He's standing at the ledge of heaven. And up here in heaven, he's, he's got perfect peace and joy and happiness. He looks down there and he sees all the chaos that sin has created. He looks up here to heaven and he sees the Father who loves him. He looks down there and he sees the people that are going to reject him. He looks up here and he sees that he's worshipped by angels. He looks down there and he knows he's going to be harassed by demons. Right? He looks around up here and his will is always immediately done. He realizes when he goes down there, he's going to be calling and waiting upon God with tears. Up here, he's the happiest of all beings. Down there, he's going to be the man of sorrows. Up here, he's on a throne. Down there, he's going to be on a cross. And here's the thing, guys. Because he loves you particularly, he comes down. He jumps down. He does it. He just goes right down into it. He goes right down into perpetual humanity, into suffering and trouble, into crying out and waiting, into the pit of destruction, into the sticky mud of hell's torments. Guys, on the cross, Jesus experienced our sins as if they were his own. If you take a look at verse 12 and like the, the turmoil that David's in because of his sin, Jesus experienced that turmoil because of your sin. All our evils beyond number, verse 12 says, encompassing us, our iniquity that overtakes us, overtook him. He could not see and his heart failed. Guys, the Lord pulled us up out of the pit of destruction by being cast in it for us. If you're trusting in Christ, guys, he took your place in the pit. He must really, really love you. He must even like you. Think about it. Think about the love he has for you to do that. And what's so cool, and you can even see it in Psalm 40, is that his story doesn't end in death. Jesus, in his whole life, he waited patiently for the Lord. And at the resurrection, God inclined and heard his cry and pulled him up out of the grave and set his feet upon a rock. And now many see that resurrection. Many see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Amen? Doesn't that make you want to obey him? Doesn't that make you want to tell people about him? Doesn't that make you want to call upon him in your next time of trouble? Guys, believing the gospel, like really believing it, gives you ears for his word. Being like in your heart rocked by what you just heard, rocked by the love of God for you, will give you a delight in doing his will. It makes you want to love him with everything that you are. And it makes you want to love other people. It makes you want to pull other people out of pits that they may have fallen into, right? People that are right here in your midst. You're going to love them more as you see God's love for you and all the people that, that you run into in your neighborhood, at work, or whatever. You'll find your joy in God's joy because you found his in yours. Let's pray. Lord, that was good. I really love your word and just love that psalm. And uh, we're so thankful that you included it. We're thankful even for David's sufferings and times in the pit that have actually turned for our benefit. That we benefit from hearing it. But even more, Lord, we are so thankful for the true David, Jesus Christ, who endured the time in the pit for us on the cross. That he endured all of our sufferings that our sins deserve. They are removed far from us as far as the east is from the west. And even more, that perfect life being ours. Double blessing. We're so thankful. We pray, Lord, as we take the communion, as we take the Lord's Supper, that we take it with joy. We take it with joy because it reminds us that our greatest problem is solved. 
and our greatest days are ahead. We have no idea the happiness you have awaiting for us. But we look forward to it by faith, knowing that Jesus is our righteousness and that we have every right to be in your presence, not because of our deeds, but his. We're so thankful for that. Help us to live as people who are thankful. Give us open ears. Dig holes in our heads so that we will hear your word, that we'll perk up when we see in your word something that you want us to do, something that before was a burden, before was something we didn't intend to ever practice. We pray, Lord, that now we would be, wait, what was that again? I delight to do your word, oh Lord. We pray that would be our heart. Praise in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.